Welcome to The Future Built Smarter, a podcast in which IMEG engineers discuss innovative and trend-setting building and infrastructure design with architects, owners, and others in the AEC industry. I'm your host, Joe Payne, here again today with IMEG Director of Innovation, Mike Lawless, and Director of Sustainability, Adam McMillan. We continue today with our fifth episode in our series on sustainability strategies of the future. Last time we talked about thermal energy storage. Adam, what are we going to talk about today? Yeah, so I think what we want to talk about today is a different kind of storage. We want to talk about battery storage. And certainly, um, most of us in the industry have really had a lot of questions about batteries. When does it make sense? When are they going to be cost competitive? And how does it fit in the big picture? Because the last thing you want to do is put some expensive resource lithium ion intensive batteries on your campus and then they're not really do much for you. Um, so we want to kind of take a dive into that and talk about um, when to think about it and where we see the industry going with battery storage. Mike, you want to jump in? No, I, I do. And I think, Adam, I think the place to start might be what are the main drivers? You know, what are some of those main drivers that are, are making think or making people move towards battery storage? What, how do you economically justify it and how does it, how does it get people ready for the future? Yeah, so I'll start by just painting the landscape of uh, state and city requirements for battery storage projects. California just passed the mandate for renewables and batteries um, in new buildings. And there's a lot to that to, to kind of digest, but it's coming um, certainly in California and the Northeast as well. So there is this future where it's getting codified a little bit. So that's one driver, but that's not very exciting. Um, I think what I think is a bigger driver is just for years, we have done so much of our energy modeling around the KWH. Uh, when does it pay back based on a KWH charge? Because that's always been the biggest part of our utility bills. But now we see healthcare facilities and others in the Midwest even, which is the slowest adopter generally on utility charges, seeing 60% plus of their utility bill is now a demand charge. And you know it really, feeling hamstringed about what they can do about that demand charge. So there's a, there's a place for batteries in that discussion. So, yeah, in the past, what we've, we've been built based on how much energy we use, you know, over, over time. And I think what you're saying now, Adam, is it's, they're not charging us on how much energy we use as much as they're charging us on what's the max amount of electricity you use at any one time over the year. And then, that drives, I think you're saying 60% of your bill is based on what that peak electrical load is. Yeah, and it gets set in some cases for the month. So you mess up one time during the month and, you know, you get hit with the high charge or there's trailing charges based on three month averages. And there's a lot of different formats out there. But with all of our best intentions with operations, sometimes, uh, you know, something happens and, you know, it goes high and you get hit with that high charge. So one place for batteries right away. The nice thing is with batteries, they come with a controller that will just watch your building. So you're sitting here with this tank of electricity ready to be deployed at a moment's notice. And in an automated way, if nothing else, your building can just watch your, your load. And if it gets too high, deploy that battery and just chop that charge right off. So if you're a facility that has these big peaks or manufacturing is common for this, but there are other reasons too. Nothing else, a battery can chop that off and suddenly you're saving $100,000 a year just because you've avoided, you know, a couple megawatts worth of spikes in your system. So that battery, it's a, it mitigates your risk. 
So it's there that if, if you do see a spike or even your typical building load sees a spike, it mitigates that immediate risk. What about if we think about utility rates 10 years from now, how does that same battery that can help your risk on a day-to-day -day basis help your risk profile 10 years in the future? Yeah, so if you look at a lot of rate structures right now, and especially again in the Midwest, you'll see you get a high demand charge only in the summer. So for three months, every hour of the day, all days of the week, you have this high demand charge. Well, in that case, a battery, you can't put enough batteries in to offset an entire day, right? When would you charge it? Because you got this demand charge going all the time. But the way that these rate structures are changing, and this is starting again on the coast and now moving its way into the Midwest, is that utility knows when their peaks are. And generally, they're around from 2 o'clock to 6 or 7 or 8 o'clock during the afternoon. So a lot of these utilities are saying, we're going to drive action through a rate structure. So I'm going to make sure I'm going to not going to charge you any demand charge any hour except from 2 to 6 p.m. And we've seen those rate structures come come to light. And in this scenario, if you've got no way to chop your load from 2 to 6, you're getting you're getting hit with this charge. In some cases it's 20, we've seen $30 a kW. And on the flip side, if you would have had that load 2 hours before that window, it would have been $0. So if you're talking about a four hour window, um, chilled water storage, which we talked about last time, is a good method to chop out a four hour window. But we're starting to get to the spots where battery can also maybe last you for four hours, chopping off two or three meg in a pretty cost effective way, while also trimming out spikes at other parts of the day. It's basically an automated watchdog to really just set a level that you want to stay at and make sure that your, your bills come in where you want them to be. And, and the reason the utilities are doing this is they're, they want to incentivize minimizing that peak because of how that peak impacts their grid. And especially as renewables and others come online on the grid, that peak drives construction of new power plants, potential use of power plants that don't produce as clean a power. And I want, we want to touch on that a little bit, how the grid is, is interlinked with this, this rate structure. Yeah, you know, I mentioned two to six, and I also said two to eight p.m. And probably the most like pointed example is in certain times of year in California. Why why six o'clock? Why is that a peak? Everyone's gone, but everyone is leaving work, going home, turning up their air conditioning as the sun goes down. So you have this rising demand from res this commercial residential mix bringing everything up. Sun goes away, all your PV panels go dead utility is out of luck. So they're idling stuff in the background, really expensive equipment just to take care of that, even that hour. So that's a big, big piece of it. And also renewables fluctuate throughout the day too. And so if you look at these, these grid operators, which operate in huge reasons, these are multiple states within the same grid and they're trying to manage all these spikes, you know, as, as renewables are pretty, can be pretty intermittent. The batteries just can do a good job, take care of it. And I think about, you know, just some of the, the utility structures, if we think about the outages in, in, in Texas and the, the rate structures that, that occurred during that, that, those sorts of outages, I, I mean, battery storage in your building would have had a, just an incredible amount of value and mitigated a lot of risk during that, that, that period of time. Yeah, especially in a, you know, if you planned ahead for a partial load scenario, which I think sh most should do now anyway, given um, just general utility outages. So yeah, in Texas, if they could have like said, all right, here's our sequence to put our building load down to 20%. Now we're gonna let this battery ride us out. Now, Texas was an extra long 
se segment. So I don't know if you had enough battery or not, but certainly um, that option is there. And we're doing a project now in the Midwest for an industrial client that is looking at adding a lot of solar and a lot of wind. So they got diverse load profiles and this battery peak. So if you've got all three of those elements in an outage situation, there is a continuous amount of load you could probably take care of with those three things because wind and solar will go up and down and your battery kind of fills the, the gap. So you can operate some minimal amount of load with having those three technologies in place. So there's a huge amount of resilience in that sort of structure in addition to the money that that system will generate for you all year long. I think sometimes the one thing that people need to keep in mind is we see buildings that are, are going to be want to be net zero or have some on-site PV or, or wind. And you think during a power outage, well, that, that PV could help them get through the outage. Well, the battery is a necessary piece of that system to allow them to use that on-site renewable dur during an outage or, or during a, a long-term event. Because without it, they, they don't have a method of using that that energy. And that's, Adam, I think what you're, you're getting to is that batteries that, if you have wind and solar, it's that third piece that really allows you to manage your energy use, not only over time, but in, in the case of a, a severe event where you lose utility power as well. Yeah, we all love control. We want some control over it and PV alone doesn't give you that. And I think back to the hurricane that really devastated Puerto Rico and they rolled out these huge PV um, panels in front of these hospitals and said, we need to get some power in here. Let's get these things going. Uh, so you can imagine, and I imagine it's, it's fairly sunny most of the time. So there's some continuous power there, but if you're gonna roll in PV panels in a hospital in the Midwest as a backup source, I can't imagine not doing that without a battery because just fluctuations and whatever we might get. Um, so I, I do think it's a pretty essential component. And, you know, the federal government recognizes this too, because actually if, if you have a battery storage with PV on site, you get a full incentive, 26% of the cost. But if you roll up just batteries alone, um, you're, they're actually at this point not eligible for the incentive. Um, so there's general recognition about the pairing that makes a lot of sense for providing a usable asset um, in times of need. Adam and Mike, thanks for another good discussion today. Listeners who missed earlier episodes in this series, as well as other IMEG podcast episodes, can find them in the resources section on imegcorp.com or by subscribing to the Future Built Smarter on any podcast app. Adam, what's up next? Yeah, so I think what we're going to look at next time is, so we talked about storage, we talked about carbon, we talked about a lot of different topics, embodied carbon, operating carbon. Um, so now I think we'll do a short um, segment on how do you kind of wrap this together? So if I could think of top five steps to decarbonize your building or decarbonize your portfolio, what would those top five things being where everything's, being where everything's at today? So I think we'll kind of try to wrap that up into a five-step uh, process. Sounds great. Until then, from all of us at IMIG, thanks for listening and take care.